Good morning. My name's Elena, and if you could please remain standing for the word. We'll read from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. This is the word of the Lord to you today. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. I apologize for my voice. Um, I'm getting over pneumonia, actually. So I had pneumonia um, a week ago. Um, I'm, I'm better, but you know how these things go. You just have kind of residual um, effects of that. So my apologies. Um, I hope you're all feeling well. Um, I know it's been kind of this season, hasn't it? Um, well, we're in our last message in our series, Experiencing God. Um, it's been so fun to, to teach and to learn. I've heard so many awesome stories from you about how the Lord's been teaching you and meeting you in this series as we try to discover um, what, it, what it really means to experience Him, to know Him, and to know His will for our life. And so as we come to this last reality, which is uh, we come to experience God as we obey Him, and He accomplishes His work in and through our life. And so we're going to explore this theme of obedience this morning. As I was thinking about that word, I couldn't help but go back to a place where, for me anyway, obedience was really born, which was in the United States Army. And uh, that's a word they like there, you know, in the military. And uh, one of the first experiences I had as a young officer is I got to, to lead a, a platoon of paratroopers in the 82nd Airborne Division. And I'll never forget, it was like my first week that I arrived at the unit, we were going on a field training exercise. And if you're in the 82nd Airborne, going on a field training exercise, mean that's going to start at night uh, and jumping out of an airplane. And so uh, we boarded the aircraft and uh, at one o'clock in the morning, the doors opened, they made me kind of like as a, I think, rite of passage. I had to be what's called the number one jumper, which means like you're the one standing in the door. So the doors open, you're flying about a thousand feet, and the night air is rushing by, and it's just pitch black outside. And then at the moment that the jump master says go, and the green light comes on, you leap into the darkness. And you're on a static line, which is a cord that's 10 feet long that's attached to a cable inside the airplane. And so when you fall for about four seconds, at the end of that, the cord pulls your parachute open and it springs to life and then you float down to the ground. And I remember the instructions that my boss, my com company commander, gave me before we boarded the aircraft. He said, Smith, don't mess this up. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. I'm not going to mess it up. And he said, the, you know, the number one, one thing I, you cannot do is get lost on the drop zone. And so the drop zone's the area where hundreds of paratroopers are falling out of the night sky. And the way that you find your way to your unit is there's a giant pole that has chem lights on it, which are like glow sticks. And they arrange them in certain symbols that symbolize your unit. 
And so when you land on the ground and it's pitch black and there's just people everywhere, it's chaos, you're looking for the light. You're looking for the light. And your whole job for the next like 30 minutes is to make your way to what's called the rally point where the light is. And as I thought about that image and just this idea of obedience, I thought, you know, the power to conduct a mission as an army unit was directly related to our ability to rally together near the light. Like a group of paratroopers separated just on their own, uh, cannot do anything, but a group of paratroopers that rally together that are obedient to not go where they want to go, but to go where their commander told them to go, that's a powerful force to be reckoned with. And so in the same way, if we want to experience God and to see him accomplish his work in and through us, we have to reject our tendency to do our life on our own terms and to move toward the light. The Lord Jesus himself, we're going to talk about how he is, he himself is the light, but not just to move toward him, but to remain with him. And so this movement toward Jesus, toward the light, is called obedience, It's simply defined as doing as we are told. Jesus famously said his first command to almost every disciple was really simple, follow me, he said. And yet as we think about this word obedience, you know, it's a dirty word in our society. We don't like to hear it, particularly as adults. I don't want to be obedient, you know, because it pushes against all of our individualism. It pushes against all of our pride, And we say, you know what, no, I'm going to make life my own way. I don't want to follow anything or anybody really. But yet if we want to experience God's power in our life, we must learn to move toward him and to remain with him, to be obedient to his command, to follow him. And so this morning we're going to talk about several movements of what that looks like in our life. Like how do we do that? How do we move toward Jesus and remain with him? And so we read a passage from 1 John this morning, and I'm going to be referencing that text throughout uh, our movements of moving toward Jesus this morning. 1 John is a book I love. It's written by uh, the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John. But I love to think of him now as an older man, and he's an older, wiser man, and and he's writing to the church. And I love the the thing he says in the very beginning of chapter 1. As he says, we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. You see, John was one who was with Jesus. He had seen the light. And not in an abstract way, he had met the physical Jesus and followed him and eaten with him and journeyed with him and seen him died and crucified and seen him resurrected. And so John is writing to the church and writing to us to say, you know what, I know what it's like to move toward the light, to move toward Jesus and to be with him. And it's worth everything. And I'm writing these things to you that you may fully share in the joy that you have when you're with Jesus. That's kind of the impetus for everything that we're going to talk about this morning. But we know that it's so hard to move toward Jesus, don't we? I mean, if it was easy, we wouldn't need to be talking about it. We wouldn't need to be gathering so regularly. But our first movement as we think about obeying God and moving toward him that we might experience his power in and through us is that we must reject darkness. And so John lays out this dichotomy between light 
in darkness in verses 5 and 6. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. And so we see two truths that are really important for us this morning here. The first truth is about God. The second truth is about us. The first truth about God, God is light. And as you hear that, what story does that remind you of in the scriptures? Genesis, right? In the very beginning, the opening lines of the truest story of the world. In the beginning, there was God, right? And it says his spirit was hovering over the darkness, over the depths. You see, it was an image of waters covering the entire earth. And in the ancient world, the, the water was a symbol of darkness and depth and, and despair and death itself. If you can imagine what it would feel like to be at the bottom of the ocean, like just think about that for a minute. It would be utterly dark, no light. It would be a place where life could not exist. And so in the beginning in Genesis, we hear that God who is light was hovering over the depths, over the darkness, and then he spoke, let there be light. And there was light. And there was morning and there was evening and there was the first day. But you see, it's a beautiful image because light isn't just something that God creates. God is himself light. And so we see that when God made the world and he entered into the darkness, his presence is what brought the light with him. And so there's this truth about God that God is himself, not some abstract concept of light. He is light. What does that mean? That there's no darkness in him at all. You see, light and darkness in the scriptures are, are a metaphor for truth. That when we say God is light, that means that he is true. That he is the one who reveals everything that is true. In his presence, there's only truth. We learn, and Jesus said this about himself, that he is the way. The way. He's the way that he lights our path. That he's the only one who knows us and knows our stories and knows the world and knows humanity enough to direct us. So what does it mean that God is light? It means that he knows everything and that when he is present, he reveals everything that is true in your own heart, in your life, in your community, in your family, in the world. And so his presence, there is truth, there is reality. But Jesus finally said he's the way, he's the truth, and he says, I am the life. And so light, this image of light, is also that same image in the book of Genesis. It's a picture of a God who leaves heaven and descends into the darkness and creates life. That he makes the light and he makes the land and he makes the creatures, he makes the context, but why does he do all of it? The crowning point of his, of his glory and his achievement is he makes man and woman. And in Genesis it says that after he crafts them out of the dust of the earth and Eve out of the rib of the man, it says that he breathes his life, his very breath into the human beings. And so when we read that God is light, all of these images should come to mind that God is the giver of our way, that he is the giver of all truth, and that he is the giver and sustainer of all life. 
But the second thing is we learn something about ourselves from John that isn't so pleasant. He says, if we go on living in spiritual darkness, not practicing the truth, you see, we are born into darkness. Darkness is our starting point. It was the starting point in the book of Genesis for the whole world, but it's our starting point spiritually in life. Because as Christians, we believe in this idea of original sin, that sin isn't something that we pick up along the way as we grow up in the world. No, instead we're born into it, that we're born fatally flawed, that we're born as rebels, that we're born pursuing our own way, that we're born rejecting movement toward God and toward light. Darkness is our starting point as human beings. And part of that darkness John reveals to us is that we lie even to ourselves. Verse 8, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves. How often do we do that? Convince ourselves that we're not that bad, that we mostly have things figured out, that if you just give me enough time and enough resources in the right community, Life will be okay. You see, we fool and deceive ourselves. And in doing so, we move away from Jesus. It's our nature all the time. And I don't know what your particular darkness looks like, but for most of us, it's when you're in pain and when you're struggling, you have some kind of coping mechanism to deal with how difficult life is for you. I don't know what that particular thing is for you, but I'll name some that are common to human, human beings. You know, for some of us, that means an addiction to something, so, to alcohol maybe, that we just get home and we're just like, I just need to numb out. I just need to drink a bottle of wine and not feel anything for a while. You know, for some of us, it's our work, is that we're just going to work and work and work and we work until we're numb and we can't feel anything. And we begin to find identity in that space, but it's a way of running away from the light and running away from Jesus. For others of us, it's a relationship. We're trying to figure things out through the lens of a relationship with another human being, expecting them to fulfill all our needs, and it's just a coping mechanism. But you see, we all have a God-sized void in our heart that can only be filled by him, that cannot be filled by something of the darkness that must be filled by something of light. We fool ourselves when we claim we have no sin. We all have sin. We all have coping mechanisms. We all have ways that we deal with life apart from God, and that's the very nature of sin itself, that we live without regard for him in the world, live as if he doesn't exist. We might say he exists up here, but then when we get to Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Thursday night, and the pressure of life creeps in. We really have other ways of dealing with things. And they're all the things of darkness. We have to reject the darkness. But that's really hard, isn't it? If I just ended the sermon here and said, guys, just buck up. Just do better. Try harder. That would be a super discouraging message, wouldn't it? But you see... John doesn't leave us there. Jesus doesn't leave us there. The second movement in our move to obedience after we reject the way of darkness is we must choose to be with Jesus. 
That word with shows up over and over again in this passage this morning. That first, that Jesus was with God. He's the only one who came from the Father. That he came from the very source of life and light itself. And that the goal of the Christian faith is that we might be with Jesus. And that's the beautiful thing about John writing this letter to us, is he was with Jesus, with him physically. You see, to be with Jesus means to possess eternal life, which isn't an abstraction, like an idea that like one day like I'll be floating in some ethereal space after I die. But instead, you see, eternal life is something that you're meant to possess now, that's realized fully later, but is yours right now because, you see, eternal life is a person, the person of Jesus. Verses 1 and 2, John says this, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him and now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and revealed to us. Do you hear the beauty in that? The one who existed from the beginning, the eternal God from whom all things were made was seen and heard. John isn't talking in an abstract theological way. He's saying, I laid eyes on the man. I heard the tone of his voice. I touched him with my own hands. You see, we must choose to be with Jesus, and Jesus isn't an idea, and he's not a morality, and he's not a religion. Jesus is a person who embodies all truth and all goodness and all love, and he's the only one who can show you the way in your life. For he is the light of the world. And as we move toward Jesus and we slip away from, from darkness, going back to that metaphor that I told in the beginning, when I jumped out of the airplane into the black sky, you know, there's a moment where you're just totally in control of your parachute. And, and you get to choose if you pull the risers this way, you go that way. If you pull them this way, you go that way. And so there's a moment of decision as you're floating through the air. And as I thought with, about that image, I thought, you know, that's how it is in life, isn't it? Is that we're all just kind of like taking a leap. Everything in life is faith. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And we're just floating there and we have choices to make. But the choice is, are you going to slip into the darkness or are you going to slip toward the light of Jesus? But when you slip toward the light, here's what's offered to you. Because it's so hard, but it's so worth it. Because it's living life out of the shadows of darkness, out of the grip of death, out of a life shaped by fear. How many people are living in fear right now? Some fear is pressing on you. Some bill that you can't pay, something you can't figure out. And when you're laying in bed at night, there's just that gnawing sense of fear. But you see, when you slip towards Jesus, he offers you a life that is not shaped by fear. And out of a life plagued by questions of your worthiness, out of a life marked by chaos, instead he invites you to the life that is truly life. 
But you say, Gabe, you know, that's so compelling. Like, I don't want to live in the darkness. And, man, the idea that Jesus is a, a person who I can know and have conversation with and one day look upon, that's, that's amazing. But, you know, I try and I feel like I met Jesus at some point in my journey, but, but then at some other point along the way, like I made bad decisions, and maybe it was just last night, and maybe it was just this week, you know, you made a decision, and it was a decision toward darkness, and you immediately felt the shame that comes along with that, and you immediately felt regret. But here's your encouragement, because John doesn't leave us there either that it's just this one choice that we make. He says, what happens when we slide back into to darkness? What should we do? He says, cling to Jesus because he is our guide out. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the only one who is truly righteous. Have you ever thought about how profound this is? That while you were sinning just last night, when you were slipping to the darkness and you saw Jesus but you ran the other way, guess what? He's still not rejecting you. John, the man that met Jesus face to face says, no, Jesus is your advocate. What does that mean to be your advocate? The scriptures teach us that, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding and he's praying that he sees you right now, and he sees your life, and he sees your brokenness. But if at any point in your journey you've chosen him, he says, you know what? You belong to me, and I'm interceding for you, and I'm praying for you, and I'm advocating to you for you on behalf of to the Father. You have an advocate, Jesus, the one who is truly righteous, the bridge between us and a holy God. Verse two, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. You see, there's nothing that you have done or that you will do that can keep you from the love of God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. You see, while we were living in utter chaos and darkness at the bottom of that deep, dark ocean, completely without hope in the world, God came for us. And he left the light and he entered into the darkness to pluck us out. And here's the way I want to end. What does this mean for you today? What does it mean? It has so much meaning, but I want to camp on one thing. I think this has profound meaning for your identity. For all the questions about who you are. I don't know if you've ever realized you're asking those questions, but all of us are asking that, that question, who am I? Do I matter? Do I count? But you see, here's who you are, let me tell you. If you've trusted in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, he says, you are one who has been redeemed. You are one with a hope and a future. You are one made to be in the light. You are one who has an advocate and a guide, one who's praying for you and interceding for you, one who died for all of your sins that none of them should count against you. So who are you? This morning, my challenge is to embrace your identity in Jesus, 
that you have been redeemed, that you have been plucked out of darkness, that you're made for the light, that you have a hope and a future in him. And I want to remind you that if you're struggling this morning to believe any of this, there's two movements that we talked about that you can do. These are practices that you can lean into this week. The first practice is a practice of confession. Confession is just a means to acknowledge what is true. What is true about me, that I'm prone to darkness, that I'm prone to wandering, and whatever specific way that is for you. And I want to encourage you to confess what you've sinned in a really specific way to God this week. Name it with your voice to him. Lord, I've done a thing, and I'm ashamed, and I need your help, God. That's the first movement of claiming our identity in Jesus and moving toward the light. But the second part of having the power to experience God and move towards the light is after we've confessed to draw close to Jesus, to choose to be with him. And this is a really tangible practice. And and maybe some of you, this is deeply embedded in part of your life, but maybe for some of you, you've never really had a practice of being with Jesus before. And I just want to encourage you, you don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to be a professional Christian. You know, there's a practice a mentor taught me years ago. He said, you know, if you want to be with Jesus, he said, tonight, go find a chair, a place in your house or wherever you're staying. And, and, and look at that chair, look at that spot on the couch and say, you know what, that's the place I'm going to spend time with Jesus tomorrow morning. And name it tonight with intentionality. And then when you get up in the morning, before you do anything, before you fire up your devices, before you enter into the world, before you start making life happen, go to that place and sit there and be with Jesus. And we can do that in two ways. We can read about him in the scriptures. Maybe you want to reread this story that we've read today. Maybe you want to read one of the gospel accounts of Jesus. And the second one is just to pray. And you say, Gabe, I don't know how to pray. Listen, you don't need to have a great technique. God hears you. He knows every word before you say it. Be honest with him. Cry out to him. Confess to him. Tell him you need him. And then be quiet. And I promise you, if you do that five minutes every day, life-transforming things will begin to happen in your life. Amen? All right, what a joy to have these tools to experience God together. And I pray that you've met the Lord in them. Pray it's been helpful to you. Um, We're going to pick up our series in uh, Romans here soon. We've got one Sunday that Travis is going to tell us about. Uh, We're we're having a Compassion Sunday next weekend. We're going to talk about Compassion International and some work that we're inviting you into across the world. But then we're going to head back into Romans um, as we finish out the rest of this school year. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are the light. We thank you that you are the God that wasn't content with the darkness. And you're not content to leave us there either. So Lord, we come before you as a broken people this morning. And I pray on our behalf, Lord, I confess, Lord, that we have sinned against you and against one another in things that we have done and things that we have left undone in our words and in our deeds. And Lord, we're truly sorry and we humbly repent. And Lord, we ask that you would draw us to yourself that we might be with you. 
Lord, would you draw us by your spirit in the quiet places of our day in our homes, maybe in the evening. Lord, I pray that each of us would hear your voice. Lord, that we would hear you and see you, that we would imagine you and draw near to you, that we might find our way. And Lord, help us to lay down our individualism and our preferences and our propensity to choose what we think is best, Lord. And help us, Lord, just to follow you in that simple way. Lord, thanks for hearing us. Thanks for the church, the gathered place of your saints. Thanks for this space this morning to just be set apart as we enter into our week together. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.